You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We've got our take cannons loaded and ready. ready. Absolutely dominant on deep routes. Absolutely dominant on short the routes. boys are back, baby. Excellent separation against man coverage. This is Reception, Reception, the show. Yo, what's cracking, everybody? James Coe and Derek Klassen here with you as you are listening to Reception Perception, the show. No Matt Harmon today, DK. Uh, and in, in his stead, we've got quarterback guru, the guy who does all the quarterback charting for the website in Derek Klassen. Round of applause for the great QB class. You can find him on Twitter at QB class. Derek Klassen, man, welcome to the program. First time I've been on in season. So, you yeah. know, it feels good. Always, always nice to have a little first. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you about quarterbacks, man. Now, we generally focus on wide receivers, but again, we added quarterback charting uh, to receptionperception.com. Great. I mean, just great information uh, coming out of Derek Klassen here, and and I really can't wait to dig in. Um, We got a lot of quarterbacks that we got to talk about. I mean, it's the most popular position in all of football, in all of sports, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but quarterback is definitely a hot topic. Uh, C.J. Stroud, we're going to hit here. We're going to hit Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence. How good are these guys actually? Jordan Love and Tua Tunga Vailoa. And I want to get a full breakdown here of Justin Fields, who, again, a lot of question marks surrounding Justin Fields. Is he a broken quarterback? Is it the system? What's going on with Justin Fields? What we love about the information that we get from Plaston, guys, is that much like what Matt Harmon does in terms of trying to isolate some of the play from the surroundings. Uh, that's what, you know, uh, Derek Klassen gives us at the quarterback position to a degree. And Derek, you would agree, right? Like it, it's really hard to separate uh, quarterback from some of their, from some of their pass catchers, especially. Right. So some of that is baked in just a little bit. Definitely. Like I, I think for, for as valuable as the quarterback charting is, I think it's, it's a little bit less love, like one, you know, the production being one-to-one for what Matt does. Cause because a lot of what Matt does, it's like if a receiver can win on a route, he wins on a route and he gets a, right. a good note for that play. Whereas I think a few more things go into having to get a positive play for a quarterback. The charting just kind of helps explain why it's so difficult for a quarterback, whether that be, you know, some of the, the tight window rates, pressure rate, all that jazz. So, yeah. What you need a steady hand in terms of uh, analyzing some of the quarterbacks there. Um, and that's exactly what, what Derek Klassen is giving us. He gives us context, man. I mean, that's what this show is really all about. It's all about context. Uh, and I think uh, Derek obviously does an incredible job uh, for us on the website there. But can we just jump right into it? You just dropped this profile here on CJ Stroud, this young quarterback uh, in Houston. Uh, Derek Klassen, I don't know. Give us your takeaways here on, on CJ Stroud. If you're the Texans, you could not be any happier about where CJ Stroud is at. I mean, he he looks fantastic already. And like the thing is, it's already you're already seeing him grow so much because if you just watched his first preseason game, uh, you know, we're going to roll it back a little bit uh, here. He It looked kind of slow and it was like, ah, oh, man, it's another Ohio State quarterback where like huh. they don't really see the game. Like uh-huh. it's going to take them a while, blah, blah, blah. You watch him now, he is throwing everything with unbelievable timing. He knows exactly where the ball needs to be. And and what's so impressive to me is that it doesn't matter what the concept is. Like when they're running quick game, he's getting to the top of his drop, balls out instantly. When they're doing the Shanahan get under center, throw a dig route, 
balls out on time and it's exactly where it needs to be. When they're taking shots down the field, balls out, it's exactly where it's supposed to be. So like they're they're really not holding his hand at all. They're making him be a big boy quarterback. And he, you know, there's a couple of rookie inconsistency stuff here and there. But like for the most part, he looks like absolutely the real deal. So what I love about Stroud right now is that he's really, um, I think, throwing really well to the intermediate areas of the field. And obviously, I think what we saw from him at Ohio State, even in his pro day and and what we see now at the NFL level is that, man, he can bomb it deep, too, which is what I love. Um, But that can you talk about that intermediate area of the field? For the people who know me and know the show, it's like I hammer that area of the field all the time when we start talking about analyzing NFL because – Man, in the NFL, unlike college, Derek, it's like you got to hit that area of the field well if you're going to be a good quarterback. You have to. It's the money area. It's the hardest area of the field. Like that's where the windows are going to be the tightest. And that's where you really need to have velocity. It's where you really need to have pinpoint placement, understanding how to throw against defender leverage, all that sort of stuff. In in this Jaguars game alone, CJ Stroud was two of three on dig routes, two of three on corner routes. Um, and, And like he just he every it he also hit a uh that's the other one i was trying to think of he hit a comeback route too i think robert uh woods on on the right sideline where just the timing of it the the pace of the ball with the way it comes out of his hand it's all just perfect and i put this in the piece but like it feels very like matt ryan ish Mm. where he doesn't have the strongest arm but it's a good arm and the way that he can create arc when he needs to the way he knows exactly where the ball needs to be the timing of it it's just like this is a real deal throwback classic incredible pocket passer and he like you said he's doing it over in that 11 to 20 yard area where he really understands exactly how these windows work and he's got more than enough arm talent to to make you know to execute uh can you talk about his deep ball accuracy and just his deep ball ability because again i think that's what got me really excited about him as a prospect i know you and i were talking about him in the offseason and just openly wondering why he wasn't the consensus number one overall pick. Um, for me, it's like, you know what separates a good quarterback from a great quarterback? So again, you got if you want to be a good quarterback in this league, you, you got to hit those dig routes. You got to hit the intermediate areas of the field. Uh, but if you want to elevate yourself to be a great quarterback, not only can you do those things, but man, you got to hit a defense over the top. And that, to me, is an ability that I thought C.J. Stroud had with him in spades coming out of Ohio State. What have you seen at the pro level regarding C.J. Stroud over the top? I think we've seen exactly what he was in college. When I charted mm-hmm. him in college, he was my most accurate passer beyond 20 yards. And I think we're seeing a lot of that. I think part of maybe why people didn't really give him that much credit as a deep passer was one. I mean, the Ohio state guys were open a lot, so that does play yeah. into it. Um, <laughs> right. But also like, it kind of goes back to the, the, the Matt Ryan thing I said is where like CJ Stroud's arm is good, but you don't watch it and go, Oh my God, this is Justin Herbert or Josh Allen or whatever. And I think people kind of almost one for one associate arm talent with ability to throw down the field, but it's not really that like CJ Stroud is well over the threshold for what you need to be a good deep ball passer in terms of arm talent. And then, like I said, the way that he sees the game and understands like, Oh, the safety's leverage is this. Okay. Then I can rip the post, all that sort of stuff. He plays with such good timing that it allows him to get the most out of the, you know, velocity and arc that he can get down the field. And that's how you end up with him hitting, you know, Tank Dell for like 50 yards down the field uh, on a perfectly thrown post route. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that stuff the, the more the year goes on. Man, it's so interesting you bring up the whole arm talent thing because when I see a guy with a big cannon arm, I actually think that that is a tool that you use in the short and intermediate area of the field more than anything else. Like to be able to rip lasers right into that intermediate area and into tight windows. Um, I don't really see it uh, to your point as like a deep ball thing because, you know, to be honest, we all love Josh Allen and the guy's got a humongous arm, but I I think you would agree with me in that in the early part of his career, not really a great deep ball thrower. You know what I'm saying? But he's got a huge arm. Yeah. I think that's both great points. Like for one, I'll start with the, the short to intermediate stuff. Just look at Justin Herbert. The way he can rip some of those flat routes or speed outs or slants that they run, like it, there are some windows that he's legitimately only hitting because he throws like 200 miles an hour. Uh, yeah. and, and that stuff matters. <laughs> right, right, um, right, right. And even Josh Allen has kind of grown into being able to do that. And then to your point, like on the deep ball stuff, I, I don't think pure arm talent matters that much for a deep ball when you're throwing it in the structure of the offense. I think it only mm-hmm. really matters when you're doing the crazy off platform play is Great broken. Point that type of stuff. And like, 
I'm not 100% sure CJ Stroud has that. But as far as, you know, playing in structure and, and, and taking the deep shots when they're there, like <laughs> he's, he's already, I, I think, kind of one of the one of the guys I would trust. So I think that's a good point that like the elite arm talent, when you're throwing the deep ball in structure, like these guys are NFL quarterbacks. They can if they're starting quarterback in the league, they can probably yeah. hit that. They can probably hit those throws. Um, okay, so I want to talk to you a little bit uh, in regards to C.J. Stroud, um, in regards to some of the underneath stuff. I, the funny thing is I've read like 30 of your profiles now, obviously, um, as I edit the website. Um, and, and and what, I, what I've gotten from you is that you put a real emphasis on quick game, um, maybe more than any other quarterback evaluator that, that I've really read. Um, kind of explain that process to me, and then what did you see from C.J. Stroud? I mean, to me, it's a lot of just like it kind of comes down to how does the offense need to function? And for me, like every offense has to get yards within that one to 10 yard range somehow, whether that's a really, really strong running game or whether that's quick game. And I think right now for the Texans, you know, because the offensive line has been not healthy, they've not really been able to get their run game, I think, quite up up to what they want. So it's kind of had to been CJ Stroud really operating in the quick game and helping them get into second and fives and third and twos that are manageable just because, you know, he's able to keep the offense ahead of the sticks. Um, And so that's why I think the quick game is really, really important. And to me, it's kind of just like, I've always been a guy who likes my quarterbacks to be able to do everything. Like obviously the intermediate area is money uh, and you have to be able to do that at a high level. And you also have to be able to, to do stuff outside the pocket. But to me, the guys that can do all of that, and also are just really consistent guys in the quick game and can kind of make up for not having a running game at the time. Those are the guys who are special. I mean, just to say it again, like what Justin Herbert did last week against the Vikings in terms of just dominating quick game when they, the Chargers were not running the ball. Like they actively no. were just like, ah, we don't care. We're just going to let Herbert go air raid mode. The fact right. that he could handle that and basically be the running game just by operating quick game so well I think it's just really hard to do because the the margins for error when you're throwing quick game that much are so small and guys that can just do it down in and down out and solve so many problems. I think that's just, you know, that can really be a separator for me. By the way, speaking of Herbert in the run game, just being completely lackluster, like that's why I'm like, yo, on fourth and one. Brandon Staley. Oh my God. Yes. It's like, I get it. You know, like you want to go for it. You want to put the game away. I don't actually have a huge problem with the decision to try to put the game away right then and there, but the play calling on fourth and one, when Joshua Kelly has done absolutely nothing, he's looked bad this entire game. As a matter of fact, two weeks in a row now he's looked bad, right? Like, on fourth and one, you've got Justin Herbert cooking. You've got Keenan Allen just destroying the secondary. Why would you hand it off to Joshua Kelly here? Just throw the ball. Throw the ball yes. or do a QBC. It does, I, I don't know, class. Man, I was so confused by the play call, bro. Uh, that's the thing. No matter which way you put the ball in Herbert's hand, it would have been a better decision. If yes. it was just, just a sneak, it's like, okay, he's a 6'6 six, six cyborg. Like, yeah, he'll probably have a better <laughs> chance of getting this than, than putting God, Joshua Kelly at fullback. Doing? Or if you let him throw, he completed like 85% of his passes on the day. Pretty good chance that he's going to complete that one. Or we saw him make a couple of good scrambles that game. Like, he played a literally perfect game. Why not give it Crazy. to him when when the game is on the line? I don't know. It, it, it felt I mean, like Brandon Staley's just too far in his own head a little bit. Uh, it's just so it's so bad. And like you could tell, man, if they lost that game, I mean, the, they he would have lost the locker room if he hasn't already lost the locker yeah. room. Okay, like I'm just saying, man, like it's it's so crazy. All right, last thing I want to hit you with on CJ Stroud. Um, you talk about like, oh, you know, there's a little bit of a, I don't know, like people are like, oh, just another Ohio State quarterback because they do well in college. They don't do well in the pros. A lot of them don't, right? Um, and I think a lot of that is because uh, some of these quarterbacks are just not very good at a structure. You know, they're not very good when they're not, you know, teamed up with a, a great offensive line, teamed up with great pass catchers or whatever it might be, right? So C.J. Stroud, they were like, ah, well, he looks great on on film, but how much of it was under pressure? How much of it? How creative can this guy get out of the pocket? You know, you talked about in your column here that um, the Jaguars got to him. Uh, at least exerted pressure on 40% of his dropbacks. It's a pretty big number. Uh, Talk to me about the success rate out of pressure uh, and what did you see in terms of creativity from C.J. Stroud when under pressure? I think we're learning very quickly that a lot of the, 
you know, oh, CJ Stroud doesn't really create that much in college was kind of just like, yeah, he didn't have to because he played so well within the structure and had three incredible receivers that it was like, why would he ever have to go out and do this? But I think we saw in college, you know, the Georgia game, it was like, okay, he's got a little bit of this. But who knows if that was just a flash in the pan? I think we're seeing early on that, like, that's very much part of his game Um, because he's a really good athlete. Like, he's not, you know, Josh Allen or or even Justin Herbert, where he's a guy who's going to shred you for 20 yards or whatever. But, like, he can get outside the pocket. If you roll him out, he's going to be able to outrun the edge, uh, you know, edge and, like, get to the boundary and stuff like that. Like, he, he can really move. And I think what we've seen so far is he's just, you know, this even goes back to just the way that he operates within structure. But everything CJ Stroud does is so fast. Like he knows as soon as he's pressured, okay, if, if I'm getting, you know, pressured through, through the B gap between the the tackle and the guard, okay, I need to slide this way. And then, you know, I can slide exactly this much. And like, he just knows exactly what every answer is. And he knows like, okay, you know, I'm getting pressured here, but on this concept, I kind of have time to hold the ball, you know, maybe take a shot and throw it to a dig route because I know it's going to be open. Or, okay, nope, on this concept, I have to just quick throw it to the check down because that's my only option to beat pressure here. It's just like, he's just a guy who, you know, like you said, these past Ohio State quarterbacks kind of seemed like they malfunctioned when they didn't have the answer within structure. That's not CJ Stroud. Like he he just, he knows what is the next step in, in every concept you know, you know, when he's under pressure and stuff. So I've just been unbelievably impressed with with what I've seen from him in that regard. Same. Uh, As you noted in your column, Stroud posted a 58.3% success rate when pressured. Only six quarterbacks in the database from 2022 fared as good or better over the course of an entire season. So um, Stroud under pressure, at least in that game against the Jaguars, certainly showed a lot, uh, which is really interesting to see. Listen, uh, Derek, you, you really can't talk about Stroud without your mind immediately going to what Carolina did by drafting uh, Bryce Young. And I get it. Bryce Young was hurt. Uh, he's got an ankle injury here uh, there in week number three. Uh, who knows what his availability will be for week number four. But I thought week three with Andy Dalton actually actually hurt Bryce Young even more because Carolina's offense, and we talked about this on the show, uh, on our previous show with with, uh, with Matt, but Carolina's offense looked functional, man. Like it actually, it's not like it looked good, but it looked functional. And you couldn't say that the first couple of weeks with Bryce Young under center. No, 100%. And like Andy Dalton is still the line kind of like, you know, when he was a starter, he was the line of like, OK, you got to be this tall to, to you know, ride the ride uh, uh-huh. in terms of having a quality starter. Right now, it's like, OK, if you're not better than Andy Dalton, you're probably just like not a competent quarterback, period. And I think that's kind of where we're at with Bryce Young right now. And I think we kind of knew that it was going to take a little bit of time for his play style to work, you know, to for him to find a rhythm in the NFL. But I think we're seeing already that it's just like a lot of the concerns that myself included had about Bryce Young, just in terms of size, like we're already seeing. I think you even saw in the first two games that he was able to play. There's just so many cases of like, ah, he can't really throw this ball on time because, you know, he's getting pressure in his lap and he can't really throw over it because it's just hard for him at that size. Or ah, he had to slide to, you know, get to this window and it kind of made him late on a throw because he couldn't throw it from where he needed to just like you're seeing a lot of that type of stuff from him in terms of trying to manage the pocket. And like that stuff we see from Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson. But I said this at the time, you know, even before the draft, like those guys are awesome athletes with awesome arm talent. That's just not really where Bryce Young is at. He's closer to like Kenny Pickett in terms of, you know, physical talent. Um, But even Kenny, yeah, but even like Kenny Pickett is like 6'3". So it's even easier for him to see. (laughs) Um, So like, you know what I mean? Like Bryce Young just kind of ends up in this spot where, doesn't really have the size to be a consistent pocket passer and see things the way he needs to. But I think athletically, the NFL is kind of caught up to what he does outside of the pocket. So I'm hoping that things can look a little bit better and a little bit, a little bit cleaner. But I think I'm with you where like the, the fact that Andy Dalton could step in and be like, ah, you could get an offense out of this when, when that wasn't the case with Bryce Young. 
I, I'm a little worried. Yeah, I'm a, I'm big time worried here. By the way, you mentioned like Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray. I thought for like undersized quarterbacks, um, yeah, the athleticism and the, the escapability out of the pocket certainly has a lot to do with that. I don't think Bryce Young has that. But you know what else is a little bit underrated there too is that, yeah, these guys are like short kings, right? But like they also played baseball. Right. So like their arm angles, their the the angles yep. by which they could get the passes out is also a, just like freaky weird compared to some of these other guys. I mean, again, you think about the three baseball players, right? You think about Patrick Mahomes, you think about Kyler Murray and you think about Russell Wilson. These guys can just sling the ball and put velocity on it in like all these weird arm slots that other quarterbacks just can't do. Bryce Young is not that guy. You know what I mean? No, I think there's absolutely something to that because like that's even I mean, that's part of the magic with Kyler Murray. Like you're saying, like you watch him throw some of those like where he's just kind of throwing off his back foot. Like you can see the way that like a, an outfielder is throwing. You know what I mean? Like yeah, it just yeah, kind of yeah, looks yeah. like that. Right. And then Russell Wilson, same thing. Like when you see him like at his peak, when Russell Wilson was like rolling to his left, he was so, so accurate and so, so good at getting his chest square to the ball. And that's because like, yeah, he played baseball and he's used to, to being able to throw like that. Right. Um, we even look at a guy like Matthew Stafford. Uh, I think he was a catcher when good he played, point. when he played baseball. And, like You point. see him the way he'll sit down and square and like sidearm Great stuff. Point. Like, yes. Yeah, man, it looks like a catcher. And like the fact that those guys, like you said, can get to those different arm angles because they play different sports matters a lot. Whereas like you, you see Bryce Young, he just doesn't really have the same flexibility, the same pop that those guys kind of had. Yeah, man, uh, I'm I'm worried, uh, and also I'm, I was a little confused. Like, this guy doesn't seem like a Frank Wright quarterback. You know, like why? Right? Why are they takes CJ Stroud? <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's in, that's exactly what Frank Reich has been coaching up his entire. Like, I don't get it. Like, why? I just, I'm so confused, man. I don't know. I don't know what Carolina was. It just seemed like an odd pairing from the get go, man. I just didn't understand it. Uh, anyways, we'll move. I don't want to, I don't want to belabor the point too much with Bryce Young. I mean, again, we're just talking about two games into his career. I'm just saying it's, it seemed like a weird match from the, from the, a weird marriage from the, from the jump. And, uh, certainly it has not looked that great considering how good CJ Stroud looks, uh, there in Houston. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about some hot and cold quarterbacks here. Uh, if we can Lamar Jackson, Week one uh, against, uh, you know, not a great defense. Did not look good. Okay. It didn't look good. Then week two, it looks, it looked awesome. You, you did a week two profile on him where you were just like, all right, it's, it's all, it's, it's wheels up for Lamar. And then now here in week three, I thought he had a really soft matchup as well against Indianapolis. I, it just, and he looked really average throwing the fall, throwing the football. Now, injuries to his wide receivers, I, I know we keep saying that every single year. Say that every single <laughs> it's year. every single year, it's man. <laughs> every damn year with the Baltimore Ravens. But the injuries to the, to, to the wide receivers obviously impacted that a little bit. But what are your takeaways here with Lamar Jackson three weeks into the season? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm still really high on Lamar Jackson um, because like you said, that week two game was like, I don't think he made a wrong play in that game. Like there were one or two throws that probably could have been better. 
Um, right. I, you know, he missed, I think it was maybe Aguilar or no, it was a flowers on like a, a slot fade that he, he should have hit. But like, other than that, he was just doing an unbelievable job of, of beating a Bengals defense that really sends some weird stuff at you. Like Lou Anarumo has become pretty famous for that now. Yeah. Um, and I think Jackson picked it apart pretty, pretty effortlessly. This last Colts game was a really, really weird one. Like Jackson opened the game like 13 of 13 passing. Mm. Um, and he was doing a really good job of kind of dicing the Colts up. But he had one fumble of his own, which to be fair, he's got to clean up. He, he's he's back to fumbling like he kind of was his rookie year. Um but then I think one of the backs also had a fumble and then there was like a missed snap that like, so it's just, to me, it kind of felt like a lot of weird, stupid stuff was kind of derailing what had otherwise been a pretty good day um, for about three and a half quarters from Lamar Jackson. I, I do think like once you got into the, the end of that game, like in the fourth quarter in overtime, when the offense kind of knew they had to press a little bit further down the field and really throw themselves back into the game, I think they did like Jackson didn't look at his best. And I also think like with the, the talent deficiencies at the receiver core and some of the issues that they were having along the offensive line against a Colts pass rush, that is like kind of good, actually. Like they, they can really get after it. 12 um, sacks on the season. It's t- it's uh, the yeah. second most in the NFL. It's nuts. They're, they're good. Like, Gus Bradley is only really good at like his very specific thing, but they've got the talent to do that specific thing. So, <laughs> yeah, so good yeah, on them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, but I think you know to that point, you, you kind of saw it fall apart a little bit for them there. But I don't know. I, I still think like I don't have the exact number ahead of me, but I, Lamar Jackson is like top five in, in passing success rate right now. Like he's just doing a really, really good job of consistently getting the ball out to the right guys. I do think the offense needs to open up a little bit more, and maybe that's partly like. You know, Lamar has never been that good of a deep passer, so maybe they just don't want right. to do it for that reason. So I do think they need to open it up a little bit more, and I think we'll see more there. But I, I still feel pretty good about Lamar, even for as weird and like borderline embarrassing of, of losses as week three was. Yeah, that was that was crazy. Not as bad as the Dallas loss, obviously, to Arizona. No, God, no. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the yeah, the yeah, Colts yeah, are yeah. at least competent, and we kind of <laughs> knew they would be. The Cardinals. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Hey man, make me a smarter football fan here though. Okay. What is Todd Munkin? Everyone. It's like, he's got to be the most famous offensive coordinator in the NFL right now is Todd Munkin. Everyone keeps talking about Todd Munkin. Tom. Um, make me a smarter NFL fan though. Like what does Todd Munkin do exactly in his offense and how does that kind of match up with what Lamar does? Well, so what I thought they were going to do was kind of be able to really mix and match their personnel super well. And like, I think get into a lot of interesting stuff and they really have mixed and matched their personnel personnel a lot. I saw somebody had a graph where like they have the most um, different personnel groupings in, in the league so far. Hmm. Um, But I just don't feel like they've actually struck the right balance of like how they want to tie their run game to their pass game. Um, Their run game, I think has been a lot of just like kind of the, you know, when Lamar first took, took over where they were doing just a lot of like spread zone read, um, kind of spreading the ball out and running that way. And then the passing game has like kind of been a lot of just your standard spread stuff. Like they're throwing a lot of slot fades. They're doing a lot of, uh, you know, kind of option routes over the middle. They're doing a lot of slants, which I mean, Lamar is incredible at throwing those. So I get why you're throwing them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't really think the offense has actually been as like revolutionary as I think myself and everyone was hoping that the, the Monken offense would look like. So I'm kind of hoping at some point we get a little bit more under center stuff or maybe even pistol and really just do a better job of like tying run to pass. But we haven't really gotten that yet. And again, part of that is probably like they've had a billion injuries. So it's kind of hard to know, really right. get into the right flow. Um, but again, yeah, it, it's not been quite, I think, what I thought it would be. It, it Granted, I will say it's still not Greg Roman, which is a plus. <laughs> so. <laughs> Um, the offensive line injuries, uh, specifically to Ronnie Sta- uh, Staley, um, Stanley is, is obviously big because, you know, some of these deeper, you know, route concepts that I think Munkin is famous for, it requires time. And, and again, I, I don't even know if, as you mentioned, like, I don't know if that necessarily fits with what Lamar Jackson does well, but even if he wanted to rip, you know, deep post routes or whatever it is, it's tough because he might not necessarily get that time especially against the Colts who we just highlighted are, are rushing the passer really, really well right now. Um, okay. In terms of like route concepts though, like what, what does Todd Munkin do? Like, you know, again, we, we, we make fun of Greg Roman because a lot of the times, you know, he's running, you know, double slants or, or like double curls or whatever. And it's just, 
the spacing's all messed up, you know, but Monkin, I think, was known to, to spread it out a lot more. What kind of route concept should we be looking for here uh, in regards to Baltimore moving forward? I do think in the Baltimore offense, we're getting a little bit more like high lows, which I, I which I think is really interesting and I think does take advantage of what Lamar Jackson does well, because I think yeah. previously under Greg Roman, it was a lot of like you're saying, they were throwing a lot of slants. Or they would just run, they would spam crossing routes to Mark Andrews, which to be fair, they do still kind of do that because, I mean, he's one of the best tight ends in the league, so why wouldn't you? But I right. think you're getting a little bit more like pure drop back stuff. Whereas like with, um, you know, with Roman, it was a lot of either like they're just cooking up a two man shot play or they're running quick game. And that was it. Whereas I think with um, with Munkin, you're getting a lot more, you know, true drop back where you've got to throw a dig on time. You've got to kind of throw a corner out on time. You've got to read right. a scissors concept. Um, so I think they're actually doing a lot more in like asking Lamar Jackson to really get through full progressions and really go through the entire field. Whereas that just really was never in the Roman offense. Like I said, it was either shot play or just the most basic high school quick game out of personnel that didn't really make sense when you're running quick game. Whereas at least this offense right. makes a little bit more sense where you're getting into 11 personnel, you're going five step drop, you're trying to throw a dig route on time, all that sort of stuff. So I think it looks a little bit more like a legitimate passing game than, than whatever Roman was trying to do. Okay, so Lamar Jackson um, has been a little hot and cold as a passer. I think injuries have certainly played a, a big role into that. Uh, he's still, I think, adapting to a brand new offensive scheme as well. Um, so again, a little hot and cold for Lamar. But Derek, it sounds like you're 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 still all in uh, on on Lamar Jackson as the season wears on. Okay, where do we stand on Trevor Lawrence though? Because, bro, let's be real. He had a really good half uh, against. A, against a Colts defense that's got like, you know, Kirkland brand dudes playing corner. Okay. <laughs> so had a great first half. And then ever since then, yeah, I don't know, man. The, the passing offense just doesn't look that great. So where are we on Trevor Lawrence? I think in terms of the overall operation of the Jaguars offense, I'm kind of concerned because the offensive line does not look good. I think it looks even worse than it did last year. And part of that is like, obviously they gave up Juwan Taylor. They're missing Cam Robinson, right. all that sort of stuff. So I think that part kind of at least makes sense. Um, you know, Calvin Ridley is good, but I think he's kind of been a little bit rusty in certain moments and has not fully been the number one, I think that they were looking for. And then I think the run game isn't really all the way there. So they've kind of ended up in this spot where the only weapon or, or like mode of offense they feel comfortable running is this very horizontal, like RPO screen stretch run type of game. And it's like, at a certain point when all you're doing is attacking outside the numbers in the one to 10 yard area, you don't really have an offense. The thing is, I think that that really is almost like no fault of Trevor Lawrence. Um, and this sounds like cope um, just because I came into the year very high on Trevor Lawrence, but like you uh -huh. watch him play and he is, He's making an offensive line that is terrible right now look better than it is. I think he's doing a good job of getting the ball out. Um, his accuracy, I think, is even better than it was last year. Mm. Um, and he's still doing a really good job of, like, pressing the ball into tight windows when he has to, giving his guys chances. It's just that, like, they're not connecting on those chances. I saw a stat. I think Nate Tice tweeted this. The Jaguars have lost the most amount of EPA on drops this year in the NFL. And it wow. was like one of the highest marks since like 2000 or something like that. Like they are getting ravaged by simply not catching the football. And some of that is that there have been a couple of, you know, quote drops in the end zone where like the guy does hang on to it, but a foot is barely not in bounds, um, but still counts as a drop because, you know, technically you don't catch the ball. So like, to me, it just very much feels like a lot of the things that could have gone wrong have gone wrong for the Jaguars. Um, and it's kind of just fallen on Trevor's shoulders, even though I think when you watch him individually, like that would be my question that I would pose to to um, to people is like when when you watch Trevor Lawrence, like what is he supposed to be doing to make this better? Like, I think he's just playing really good ball and they just like uh -huh. the offense just isn't all the way there right now. All right. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, by the way, Trevor Lawrence last year, one of the best quarterbacks against man coverage uh, was it six best. Uh, in regards to man success rate, Derek Klassen. And then under pressure, he was pretty good too. Uh, top 10 uh, in that regard under pressure. Uh, for those folks who are not that familiar with your work, 
um, in regards to his 2022 numbers, where, where would you say Trevor Lawrence, what, what are his strengths? Like wh- where does this guy really, um, you know, shine in terms of uh, quarterback play? I think the first thing is that in terms of, of pocket management and like preempting pressure, Lawrence is already one of the best in the league at that. He, he knows where blitzes are coming from. He knows okay. exactly how the pocket is getting caved in and he knows how to move and he knows how to get the dang ball out so he doesn't get sacked. And like he doesn't really ruin drives by taking sacks that are bad. So I think that's important. Um, and that's why his pressure numbers were good last year because he's just really good at understanding all that sort of stuff. And then I think the other thing is just arm talent and being able to, to throw into tight windows. Like he's just a guy who isn't scared of any throw you know he's a uh, he's he's been the best player on the field his entire life right like coming even coming out of high school he was a five-star recruit like and he plays like it he's like yeah man i I can throw this window i can fit it and he's got the arm talent to do it so i would say those are the two things that that really separate trevor lawrence are just understanding how to manage the pocket and just trusting that his arm talent is going to get him over the line and most of the time it does Okay, so it sounds like you you're still all in on Trevor Lawrence too, uh, which is fine. I'm I'm a big T Law guy, man. I, I I've loved him uh, ever since his days at Clemson, uh, and I think he has been saddled with uh, some of the worst situations that you could ask for um, at quarterback. Obviously, a big coaching upgrade this off season, uh, or this season rather, and um, and you know they they try to add Calvin Ridley. I think he's still knocking some rust off, but yeah, it, it's funny to me too, right, Derek? Like. This offseason, somebody had uh, t- tweeted a, a photo out of like Calvin Ridley, Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, and Evan Ingram. And, and the, the caption or the, the title of the, the graphic was something like, wow, what a great group of pass catchers Trevor Lawrence has. And it's like, guys. Is it? <laughs> is it? Like Trevor Lawrence has elevated these guys. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's crazy. Who was Evan? Who was Evan Ingram? He resurrected Evan Ingram's career. Christian Kirk was it was a guy like a good player, but not like a difference maker in Arizona. He was a good player. You know, Trevor Lawrence has elevated him to to being a, a really good player. You know, Zay Jones, like talk about a reclamation project. Like, golly, Trevor Lawrence has elevated the play uh, of 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 these players, and and I truly firmly believe that that he's so good that that's that's the mark of a great quarterback is that he elevates the play. Uh, of his pass catchers. And I think that's exactly what Trevor Lawrence is doing. Okay. Um, There is a quarterback, uh, uh, Justin Fields, where, man, so many questions right now. And Chicago is well on their way to being the worst team in the NFL. They're well on their way to potentially having uh, a top two pick in a draft class, Derek Klassen, that is supposed to be extremely strong at that position um, coming into this upcoming draft here, right? So, um, Chicago will be in the mix at least when they start talking about looking at a new quarterback. Should they be looking at a new quarterback? How broken is Justin Fields? Is this a Justin Fields issue? Is this a route concept issue? Is this a coaching issue? What is it for Justin Fields? Because there was a lot of talk this offseason of, of Justin Fields potentially making a leap. And bro, not only has he not made a leap, he's taken a big step back. The boring answer is that like kind of everything is the problem. But what I will say is like, even while I think, you know, coaching or or skill player talent is part of the issue, I think the Justin Fields experiment in Chicago is totally dead. Like, I think we're just at a point where he's not really gotten any better at anything in three years. And again, I I think you can blame coaching for that. I think you can blame not having a, a, you know, he's had one of the worst offensive lines in football the entire time. I think that certainly is going to hurt you. He really hasn't had that much receiver talent. Obviously they brought in DJ Moore this off season, but people talked about that. Like that was going to be AJ Brown in Philly. And it's like, (laughs) right. He's just not that caliber. Yeah. DJ Moore is good, but he's not an AJ Brown (laughs) throw it to him. Every play number one type. Like it's just not that kind of a game changer. Um, And then even then, like, you know, they traded for Chase Claypool who has been like borderline unplayable. And then, um, you know, Darnell Mooney, I think is, is nice, but he's kind of just like a, souped up Marquise Goodwin where he's like a specialty speed guy but he's not really like a down-to-down consistent receiver and so the fact that they really just haven't had that much um, you know down-to-down consistency for him to lean on whether that's the offensive line or the the skill talent I think has hurt him and then also the coaching right now I think we're seeing 
the coaching being an issue in terms of they're really not calibrating the offense to what he does. Like last year, we saw it a little bit where they they were like, all right, fine, we're just going to start running the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're going to like we're going to kind of let you get some offense that way. They've kind of reverted all the way back to like, nah, we're going to make you sing or swim as as a pure passer. And they really haven't done anything in the design run game. They haven't done um, anything in terms of like even the overall offensive structure. They're like, yeah, we're just going to pass all the time. But like even in an idealized world for Justin Fields as a good passer, he's still kind of in the Russell Wilson territory where it's like you want to have a strong run game. You want to get under center. You want to throw deep play action shots because that's what he does. But they're not even trying to do that. So like from no angle does this make any sense around Justin Fields. And then you watch Justin Fields and everything is two seconds too slow. His mm. throwing motion is slow. The ball is not where it needs to be. He doesn't feel pre- like it's just like I said, everything that could go wrong from Fields' perspective and from everything around him is just not good. It's not I, you good know, in Chicago. I mean, honestly, forget about throwing the football, which obviously he has not been that great at this year. But you just hit it right on the head, man. I have never seen someone take so many bad sacks. I mean, on a down-to-down basis, he is just... I'm The pocket presence is a literal zero right now from Justin Fields. And that... Dude, that's not coaching. That's not, you know... Uh, you could say maybe that's like player talent around him or whatever. But like some of these sacks, DK... It's not like some guy screaming off the edge... And just catches him, right? It's like, no, the dude's holding the ball for like three, four, five seconds. You're like, golly, get out of there or throw the ball. That that to me has been probably the most distressing part about watching Justin Fields play. Is like, bro, get an internal clock, man. Like it's crazy how many bad sacks he's taken this year. A hundred percent. And like that, that's where you see both sides of the Justin Fields argument, actually, to me, is like they're trying to run so much like drop back and so much quick game. And it's like mm-hmm. On one hand, Justin Fields it has just not been good at that. Like he holds the ball. He doesn't see windows that are supposed to be there pre-snap. And then he takes those ugly sacks. And at the same time, it's like, well, if the if the Bears coaching staff knows this, why are they running so much of it? <laughs> so it's kind of like this circular thing where like they're uh-huh. both kind of hurting, hurting themselves. Yeah. Um, but no, you're 100% right. Where like it's really not like he's taking these sacks where miles garrett is just screaming off the like his rookie year that that browns game uh or maybe it was his second year um where miles garrett literally was just screaming off the edge every single play and instantly getting into him okay those games that's not his fault yeah exactly but he's been that guy ever since that game so it's like well at a certain point it's pretty clear that you're the problem uh you know when this has gone on for three years at this point Um, you know what I found really interesting about his profile from 2022, and I encourage everybody to go read this thing. There are certain traits that this guy has that again, and you see it on film. I mean, you don't need analytics to tell you this guy's got flashes, right? But I thought what was really interesting when reading your piece and looking at the actual numbers of it, dude, this guy had a hundred percent success rate on dig routes an 88.9% success rate on the out route, hundred percent success rate on the comeback, 91.3% success rate on the curl, which by the way, that's that's a tough throw right there. Okay. So, but the weird thing about that was that then the coaching staff didn't throw a lot of those routes. Only 2.9% of his route percentage came on the dig 5.1 on the out 0.6 on the comeback route. Like what are we doing out here? I don't get it. Like what is the coaching staff seeing that we're, or what are we seeing that the coaching staff is not seeing where this guy's really ripping these like intermediate area throws where we just talked about most some of the most important throws in an NFL offense are these throws and he's doing them extremely well, but they're not running a lot of those concepts, Adam. Like, so I, I just I'm confused by that, Derek Lassen. That's what I haven't got. either, And that's why I'm saying like the offense has really never been calibrated to what he does like. Justin Fields at his best is going to be a guy who is is taking play action shots. He's throwing over the middle of the field on digs. He's throwing those comebacks, you know, maybe late in the down, or he's like ripping a post route. Like those are the routes that you want to get Justin Fields on. And the thing is, if you're going to run an offense like that, like I said, you you kind of need to get into like under center. We're going to run the ball. We're going to be a little bit heavier personnel. And like none of what the Bears have done over the past year has made any sense to like getting into that mind, uh, you know, mindset as an offense. So I don't know if it's like at this point, they're just trying to 
like prove that Justin Fields can't do the other stuff to like justify for moving on from him. Like, I don't know what the thinking <laughs> of weird. not right. Like, I don't know what the thinking in not right. gearing the offense to, to his strengths um, is, but that's where they've arrived for whatever reason. But like, yeah, I would like to see them let him throw more, more dig routes, let him throw more comeback routes. And like maybe Chase Claypool is not going to get open on any of those. But it's routes that he likes to throw, so it let's at least like try to give him a chance here. I, it's just odd to me because especially when you add a guy like DJ Moore, um, I, I feel like those are areas where he can you know play really well too, right? So why not throw more dig routes? Um, uh, why not throw more curls and comebacks and out routes? You know, like and again, like forget about these like five seven step drops. Like again, you could rip a dig route on a three step drop. It's fine. Let's make that happen. You know, like. I mean, shouldn't that just be, I, I don't know if it's the player or the coach, but like that should be just beat into a man. Like you got three steps, just rip it. And if it's not there, run it, you know, like I don't get how that's, and I'm not saying anything that's innovative here. I mean, we've been talking about this with quarterbacks for, for decades now, you know, <laughs> like what, what am I saying? That's like outrageous, you know, three steps and throw it or, or run like, and again, he's a special runner too. So like, I really I'm just so confused. I'm very confused by the usage. I'm confused by Justin Fields. I'm confused by the whole situation. He really should be taking a step forward this year uh, because I, I really just felt like, all right, they, they gave him DJ Moore. He's developing as a passer. I thought we saw some development from him as a passer as the season wore on last year. Am I wrong? No, I think we saw a little bit of it. Like, I think he did start to get comfortable. And again, I think that was partly because they kind of did start leaning into the like, all right, you know, you go one to two. And if it's not not there, just take off, man. Like they had kind of gotten to the point where they were just okay with doing that. And that's what we yeah. saw from the Giants with Daniel Jones last year. Where right? They were like, all right, go one to two and just screw it. Take off. It, you know, if you don't think this is there, we're not going to make you hold the ball um, and try to make a throw that's not there. Just run and use your athleticism. And they were kind of doing that at the end of last year. And it at least got fields to a point where you were like, okay, there's a couple of throws he can make early in the down. And if it's not there, we'll let him run. But like I said, this year, they're just not doing that. Like I said, maybe it's they're just really trying to prove that he cannot do the other stuff. I don't know. But like it, it's just, wild yeah. conspiracy theories here from Jared Lassen. I love it. Uh, I will say this too. Uh, uh, and again, this might be a quarterback issue. This might be a schematic issue. Uh, but 10.9% of his routes um, last year were thrown on the nine route, which was, again, just a. Uh, for him, that's a high percentage given the personnel. Like last year in 2022, who the hell is winning on nine routes at a consistent, like, bro, like stop throwing the nine route. Like, what are you talking about? Why are 10%, 11% of this guy's throws downfield, like deep downfield on just a straight go route? Like that just doesn't, I don't know, man, that, that doesn't make any sense to me. I'm, I'm so confused. So that might be player. It might be scheme. I don't know. Uh, but I want to see less of that. <laughs> I want to see less of that and a little bit more in the intermediate area of the field, man. I don't know. Weird, weird stuff with uh, going on with Justin Fields. Um, all right. I want to play a little game of of how good are they actually, okay? Um, and I want to start with Jordan Love, who, from a statistical standpoint, and it's funny because like I, I came out uh, in the preseason and said, listen, um, I'm not saying Jordan Love's a bad player, but I I don't think that Matt LaFleur is a good offensive coach. I don't like his his route concepts. Um, and a, lot, a lot of it's too, you know, samey with like Mike. He gave me Mike McCarthy vibes. OK, I wasn't a big fan uh, of of the, op, the, the the offensive scheme set forth by LaFleur. Now, everyone's trying to make me eat it. Right. Like everyone's being like, ah, see, I told you you're wrong. And I'm like, I, I don't know. Am I like, have we actually watched Jordan Love play? Like, yeah, he's throwing three touchdowns in back to back games. And yeah, he leads a comeback uh, against the Saints when when they lose their starting quarterback. I, I don't know. Like maybe I, I would say right now for me, I feel like that's a, a take that is not aged badly. I think it's a take that's sort of a mixed bag. Like I could certainly be wrong on it. There's no question. Uh, but right now, I, I also haven't seen like, oh, my God, I'm wrong on it. You know what I mean? So I guess I'll ask you, the quarterback guru, uh, how good is Jordan Love actually? I think right now he's OK, but I kind of think the process of what he's doing is going to end up better by the end of the year. Um, and the reason I say that is like it actually kind of does go back to um, Lafleur and his offense. 
in my opinion, what we're learning is that a lot of the sameness between LaFleur and McCarthy was a lot of Aaron Rodgers influence. I think <laughs> I think Aaron really liked okay. to throw a lot of those routes. Yeah, fair. Um, because I think what what we're seeing a little bit now from Green Bay is like they're getting more under center. They're they're trying to be a heavier personnel team. They're trying to run the ball. They're really trying to run play action. And they're throwing over the goddamn middle of the field. Aaron Rodgers didn't do any of that last year. I don't I don't remember the exact number uh, in front of me, but he was like the lowest guy in terms of throwing the middle of the field um, in my charting. That's not Jordan Love. Jordan Love is very willing to throw a dig route on time. He's very willing to you know throw down the seams, all that sort of stuff. So I think it's kind of allowing Lafleur to get back to some of the stuff that he was kind of used to, like when he grew up as a play caller. Um, with the Rams and stuff like that, where like this is kind of the formula that he's used to. So, and I think we've seen good good success with success with it. Like he schemed open a lot of really good throws uh, down the field for Love to hit. And I think you know to your point that the results have been pretty mixed in terms of Love actually hitting those throws. But to me, I think we're seeing that that Lafleur is I think doing a good job of getting those guys open. Um, and Love to me, I think is a good processor actually, and I think he handles pressure well. His his issue is just ball placement, like like pure and simple. That's it. Like he's getting to the right places. He's throwing on time. He just has the worst uh, expected completion percentage over expected in the league. And like when you watch it, it feels that way. Like mm-hmm. there are just four or five throws a game where it's like, how do you miss this when you're throwing on time <laughs> and you have one of the better uh-huh. arms in the league already? Like it just yeah. doesn't make sense that he's missing these throws. So. I am hoping that the more he plays, the more he kind of settles into the, to the rhythm of, of getting some of these throws and just hitting them on time. And I do think when he gets some of, you know, Christian Watson comes back and like when some of these other really young receivers yeah, they have point. get some more reps, like yeah, that's, that's going point. to help. But for now, the ball placement is not there. Process good, execution, uh, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Um, all right, another young quarterback in Tua who is like the MVP front runner right now. Um, as crazy it is, as we are three games into the season here. Um, he had a, a torrid start like this last year. Obviously, he got banged up and hurt. Multiple concussions, uh, two reported, probably three uh, on the season there for Tua last year. Uh, this year, man, he has just been kept upright, I mean, big time. I, I, I just, I struggle to even picture plays where he's under pressure. I mean, he's just so, he's just such a clean look for for Tua. Um, he's obviously got the the best tandem of wide receivers in the game in Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Speed, 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 speed everywhere. Even in the running back room, he's got speed, and he's got a great offensive coach um, in Mike McDaniel. Right. So, how good is Tua actually? Because I tell you, there are some times when you're like, if if he actually gets that ball out there, it's just an easy touchdown. Instead, it's just a forty yard gain. I'm saying just, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But like, right. you know what I mean? Like I feel as if there's a lot of plays that he leave, a lot of yards that he leaves on the table. I made the comparison before and I still fi- stand by this firmly. Um, he reminds me a lot of like Alex Smith uh, in Kansas city. You know, Andy Reed was scheming up some real great plays. There's obviously that connective tissue there with Ty- Tyreek Hill as well. Um, but how good is Tua Tungavailoa actually? I think he's like a very normal kind of good and not the kind of great that people people think that he is. And the reason I say that is like we've seen this tree of play caller do this with quarterbacks who we know to be not actually that great. The stuff that we saw from Jared Goff in 2017 and 2018 Mm. um, under McVay, the way that they Mm -hmm. were able to perfectly calibrate the offense to the things that he did well. And you got some of the most productive quarterback play we've seen um, this generation um, same thing with Jimmy Garoppolo, by the way, in San Francisco. <laughs> right, right, Jimmy Garoppolo right, is what? Right. Quarterback like 20-something? And he was probably yeah. playing a little bit better than that um, in, in, at, at his peak in San Francisco. But like we knew he was never more than like a slightly above average quarterback at his best. But mm-hmm. they were getting top three passing offense out of him every year when everything was healthy just because it was so perfectly calibrated to what he does. Um, and I think that's a little bit where we're at with Tua right now and and like to his credit what I'll say about Tua is like I do think the timing he plays with is really better than anything we've seen from from any of these other guys even better than Jimmy I do think his ball placement is really good and I even think we've seen a little bit more like you know kind of a little bit more outside of the pocket stuff from him because that was kind of my biggest issue coming Mm -hmm. into the years that he just gave you no juice outside of structure but he's he's at least flashed that a little bit this year so again I do think he's like a good quarterback but I think the numbers are just so far and ahead 
of where he's actually playing. Yeah. And, and like people are people take this as like, oh, that means you think Tua's actually sucks or whatever. Right. And it's like, no. Exactly. It's just we've seen quarterbacks <laughs> produce above their level in these offenses before. Right. And he's just doing it again. And it's only it's heightened to just a new level because they have like such a unique cheat code of speed that they're like breaking the NFL. I know. And to his credit, he's right. doing a good job of executing. But yeah, I would say he's like a he's pretty good. But the numbers, he's not, you know, historically good, basically. If people ask like, oh, why do you, you know, why do you downplay what Tua is doing? And it's like, it's because of people who I see on my timeline, there was a, there was an actual debate on my timeline, uh, a video segment. And, you know, I'm not going to talk about who it was, but just I'm watching this thing. And and the, the question was, what does Justin Herbert do actually better than Tua? And I'm oh like, <laughs> I was like, you have everything got to be kidding me. Like, bro, separate production from ability. I mean, I get that that's what reception perception like specializes in. But I mean, can we do that? Just I mean, just use a little common sense. It's crazy, Derek Class. I'm like, I'm watching this unfold. And the panel is like talking about like, yeah, well, uh, kind of sort of nothing. And I'm like, What? Justin Fields does damn near everything better than Tua. It's just that he's not in a great, he's not in a great system and he doesn't have two of the fastest human beings on earth playing football with him. You know what I'm saying? Like, come on, bro. Come on. And and like the the thing to me specifically with Herbert and Tua, I I mean, one, you just look at them physically and it's a, it's a Ferrari versus a Camry. Like, like what are we doing here? But even beyond that, like, what are Tua's two best traits? It's timing and it's it's ball placement. Mm-hmm. You know what Justin Herbert is really, really good at? <laughs> Throwing on time with incredible ball placement. Ball placement right. He has like the, I'm pretty sure Herbert has the highest uh, completion percentage over expected in the NFL this year, which obviously when you go 85% right. completion on 47 passes against the Vikings, you're going to have that. But like, it's going to happen, yeah. Herbert is as good as Tua at all the, you know, quick hit, you know, all this stuff on time. But then he can throw 45-yard bombs when he's falling back and just flicking his wrist. Like, Tua just doesn't have that. So, like, yeah, I mean, Herbert to me is like if you build a quarterback, that's what it looks like. And and again, people are going to listen to this and be like, oh, here goes James Coe again. He's he's hating. It's like, I'm not hating. I'm just, it's like, can we set realistic expectations for Tua? You know? Like, like this whole MVP conversation is, like, driving me insane. It's like, what? This is crazy. You know? Like, I, I don't know. I it's 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 madness. Uh and it's again, it's like I'm not hating by saying this guy's an above average quarterback. I'm not hating. You know, right. Nobody it's, nobody thinks that this is like current day Andy Dalton. <laughs> I, no one's saying he's bad. I'm not I'm you know, I'm not even where would I even put like, you know, but it's again like I, I'm not saying the guy's a bad player by any stretch of the imagination, but the talk of him being one of the literally the two or three best quarterbacks in the NFL just from a talent perspective is just, it's crazy, man. It's just absolute madness to me anyways. All right. So, uh, that's where we're at right there. All right. We're running out of time, but, uh, I can't get you out of here, Derek Klassen. Okay. Without doing the option route. Okay. Listen, we don't get you on the program that often. So I'm going to throw this out here to you. Okay. Option route, 1000 bucks or a hundred thousand bucks, but you have to have really bad BO for an entire year. I mean, real bad. I'm talking like, I'm talking like you're sitting next to this dude at the couch. You're like, wow. Okay. I have to move bad. I'm talking like you, it's unpleasant to be around you at the gym bad. You know, like I'm talking bad BO for an entire year, but you get a hundred thousand bucks option route, Derek Klassen, what you doing? I think I might just take the free 1000, uh, you know, to, to be that much of a nuisance for everybody around me for, for an entire year, I might take a life changing amount of money and a hundred thousand is a lot of money. It's good money, but it's, it, not it's, it's good money. It's not quite life changing. So I, I, I might save everybody around me in my life for a year and just take the free one K maybe take a nice little vacation. With it. So here, here's my question for you. If, um, okay. Does it, does it influence your decision at all, positively or negatively, if you already have a significant other? Because this is assuming now, if you're single, 
listen, bro, for a hundred thousand, you're going to stay single for an entire year. Okay? Right. At that point you're, you're done. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All right. You, you guys, you, you're going to be staying single for the entire year. All right. So that, that builds into it. But, but I was thinking like, okay, as a married man, father too, uh, there's, there's more people for you to annoy and for you to like, you know, alienate, uh, if, if you've got this bad BL. Now, if you're single, you could just hermit, you know, cre- like, you know, you just hermit up, uh, for an entire year and just, you know, play Xbox or whatever and just watch football and it's all good. Uh, but if you're married with kids, you can't be doing that. Right. So I actually wonder, I don't know, Derek, what do you think? Like, does it, or does it hurt or help if you, if you already have a significant other? I feel like it depends on like the <laughs> the level of commitment, right? Like if you've been dating for, you know, I don't know, six months to a year, they might be like, you know what? I don't think uh, this is really gonna worth work out. Yeah, they might, they, out. yeah, they might be. I don't know if this is uh, worth sticking around for. But if you've been happily married for five, ten years, yeah, uh, where are they going to go? They're probably going to be true. like, you know what? Uh, I'll stick it out for the year. And, you know, I love this man, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> so I think it probably depends on the level of commitment, you know, where, where you started from. At that Bro, point. that's a, such a good point, man. Like, let's say you're dating a girl and like you just you're like, oh, man, this is the bee's knees. This girl's great, you know, but you've only been dating for like six to eight months or something, you know, it's like, yo, you take this, you take that 100K, man, that that, that relationship, right. <laughs> Dunzos, that, that relationship's on the rocks, boy. Uh, yeah, you're right, dude. Um, so I don't know what I would do, honestly. I might. Here's the thing. I might take the 100K and I might just give it all to my wife and just be like, hey, listen, here's 100,000 bucks. Do whatever you want with it. Uh, I'm not going to take You could give me like a couple grand just so I could like mess around and like, I don't know, play golf at like a nice golf course or like, you know, uh, well, I have a PS5, but maybe I'll buy the new Xbox. Okay. So I have both consoles. Just give me a couple grand. But like, I'll give 98K to the wifey. And just be like, yo, you could do whatever you want with this. I might, I might do that. So I might actually take the hundred grand uh, in this scenario. But man, I tell you, I don't know, I don't know if you're dating anybody, Derek. But, but that's a good point that you bring up, though. Like, if I'm dating a girl and I really dig this girl, and we've only been dating for like less it. than a year, you can't, no, nah, you can't, no, nah, you can't risk it, Derek. Yeah, you, you got to take that one K and just walk out of there, right? Exactly. Take them on a nice vacation at that point. <laughs> you know, the the hundred K, you're gonna be you're looking for a new one in a year. Oh boy. All right. So there you go. That's the one thing, uh, excuse me. That's the option route there for you. Uh, as we close out the show. All right. The great Derek Klassen, uh, filling in for Matt Harmon. Matt Harmon will be back, uh, to your regularly scheduled programming here, uh, when we record, uh, next week. But, uh, but Derek, uh, Derek, man, we appreciate the time, man. Um, and, uh, and again, go check out his work, receptionperception.com. All right, if you stuck with us for this long, man, we do appreciate y'all. If you guys would hit us with a little subscribe, that would be great. If you would share the podcast with your friends and family, man, that would be awesome as well. All right, for Derek Klassen, I'm James Cohen. Always remember, it's never too late to chase your dreams.